Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're the hosts of Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. We always get together over food to chat about movies, so we decided to grab some mics and invite you in on the conversation. Whether we're talking about the popcorn movies, the big blockbusters and franchises, or the foreign or artsy martini-style movies that your film school friend tried to convince you would be a good time. Or the soup movies, the ultimate in comfort and nostalgia for when you need a friend or a warm hug. We cover it all, and we'd love for you to join us on the journey. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. Bye. Bye. Somos Real Latinos. Hola y bienvenidos a Real Latinos. My name is Ismael. This is Ron. Hola. And this is Guti. ¿Qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó, mi gente? And we are here discussing Latin American cinema. Today's feature presentation, Bardo, or False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Oh, actually, it doesn't say or. That's Birdman. But anyways, um, <laughs> we will be uh, reviewing Bardo. So please go watch that movie before you come and listen to this episode. There will be spoilers. Uh, but before we get into the feature presentation, let's just see how we're all doing. Ron, what you, what you up to? Um, so I started watching Wednesday, the uh, Netflix original series oh, that is uh, nice. bit an adaptation sort of of um, the Adams Family. Yeah. So um, I've never I like the Adams Family. Um, I, I like the, the Barry Sonnenfeld movies from the 90s. Um, but I'm not like super, super into it. I was always more of a Munsters kid than an Adams Family kid. But um, so if if you if I if his name weren't all over it, if I didn't already know and you told me that Tim Burton directed more than half of the episodes of this, I would not have known it. Uh, oh, snap. Because. Yeah. So because uh, it doesn't have his usual style over substance. Um, it's just kind of just all the way bland. Um, oh, my God. But, uh, <laughs> savage <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah so it's created and written and produced by alfred guff and uh miles miller who uh do a lot of the cw shows and this fits firmly in in the cw vibe um Ooh. so it's it's definitely it's geared towards oh that like that like yeah that uh, <laughs> that, that teen i'm gonna like, be honest 20s, like, some cw some cw stuff i'm on it like jane the virgin I, Great show. I've heard that Jane the Virgin is pretty good. I I never get a chance. I did. I Great liked show. um uh was it uh my crazy ex girlfriend, mm-hmm. um and I I liked um like you know I'm I'm a comics guy so like I I have watched like a lot of the you know like I I liked the Flash for a while yeah the, fl- the Flash Girl. is good yeah. so you know I mean they're hitting but like but you you know what I'm talking about like there's that kind of aesthetic. That like mm-hmm. it's very like you know Dawson's Creek with superpowers kind of like all the dialogue is really terrible and not how anyone actually talks and like there's very exposition heavy um, and so there was a lot of that in 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 this as well um, it, it would fit firmly at home on on the CW I will say the choice to recast the Adams family as Latino 
um, was really, really interesting to me because, like, it didn't really play a part in, in like, the narrative. Um, but the fact that, like, uh, like Luis Guzman is is Gomez, I think, like, it was hard for me well, because, I mean, like, I have... his name is Gomez. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I... And and I think a lot of people that are around our age, like they grew up with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston as as Gomez and, and Morticia, and so there's there's a lot of baggage coming to seeing somebody else play those roles. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it took me a while to get into it, but I really like what Luis Guzman is is doing as Gomez. Um, but I really I think that the the real reason to watch the show is Jenna Ortega. She's fantastic as Wednesday. Mm. Um, I like if if you are a fan of her at all, I think that that's reason enough to at least check it out, at least watch the the first episode or two, because she is really, really good in in that lead role. Um, and Christina Ricci, who played Wednesday in the 90s movie, she is actually in it as, as a different character. And I know I read something that like uh, they didn't speak about how she played her originally because. Christina Ricci didn't want her to have any baggage. Right. Like she just wanted her to like, you know, to um to play the role on her own and come and you know come to it, you know, um naturally or whatever. So but um yeah, it was it, it's it's pretty good. I'll probably check out the second season when it comes out. Um if you're into that, like if you're into anything that I just said, um if you're one of the unfortunate souls that's a Tim Burton fan, then uh, <laughs> you know, go ahead. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, Wow. Um, I Edward Scissorhands is going to be right outside your door. Lost half of our Edward, yeah, that's <laughs> it. You know what? Um, I, I love, I love Ed Wood. I love Big Fish, and I really like Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice. Other than that, I feel like everything else he's just phoning it in. Do you not so, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Wow, I, I did within the last year. I within the last year I rewatched it, and I will say I liked it. I think I bumped it up to a three stars. Mm, three stars um, is good, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was it was better than it's I got remember Count it Dooku being, as a dentist. Come on, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. But um, yeah, I I think my thing with Burton is like I know what he can do. So the fact that like so you the just get disappointed he whenever out, he doesn't yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. I just like and and I hate comparing filmmakers, but like to me, like I compare him and Guillermo del Toro. Like I feel like their careers have have gone on a similar trajectory, <sighs> but I feel like I get a lot more of like like who del Toro is in his work, whereas Burton, like a lot of it to me feels like he's just like making hot topic merchandise. Yeah. Um, and like you know, you know what I mean? Like Hot Topic um, is very popular with teens. Yep, yep. So I mean, it was popular you know, for yeah. me when I was in high school. Uh, know, yeah, me too. Yeah, I really liked Hot Pocket. Check out yeah, Hot Topic. I really liked, get a I liked Hot Topic t-shirt. when it was like Amazing metal shirts, and punk yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and you know, I don't know what it is now, but um, but yeah. anyway, Wednesday. we've got an away, it's all like a huge stuff. tangent. <laughs> all I will say is give the Nightmare Before Christmas back to Henry Selleck, who who should get all the credit for it, and that's. Now I'm done. One Isn't there like a whole ass about? thing about like why is Tim Burton? Why is it Tim Burton's and not Henry Selick's? Because he he came up with like the poem and he designed the characters. But like when the movie was being made, he's the producer. But like he wasn't there. He was some. He was in. I forget where he was. I think they were doing Nightmare in San Francisco, and he was in L.A. I think doing Batman Returns. The yeah, whole time. I remember. So there's he, like a yeah, movies that like, made me episode or something like that on Netflix. Right. Yes. Yeah. Love that show. Love yeah, that show. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think that uh, I mean he does get you know credit for coming up with the concepts and stuff, but really like 
Henry Selleck and and Danny Elfman should get most of the credit for for Nightmare yep. Before Christmas in my for opinion. For sure. So. Gotcha. Anyway, cutting all that out. <laughs> Leave it all in. It's all staying in there. Uh, oh, yeah. How about you, uh, Guti? What you what you been up to this past this past week? Oh man, uh, so I've been a little bit of a movie watching rut, partially because of uh, you know the new release Modern Warfare Two. Been playing that a lot. And Dude, then, you've been uh, playing this for like <laughs> a month. <laughs> Oh I know it's God. James it, it, Stewart it's is crying in his grave. I know, I know, but I'm, I'm gonna... not watching classic movies, dog. I know, wow. but I'm gonna make it up to him right now. Just uh, <laughs> hold on a sec. So, uh, I watched this so, a wonderful life. Yeah, 75th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> so, which today is the 75th anniversary of when we're recording this, but hold on, we'll get there. That's why uh, I said it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, so a few days ago, um, I, I ended up watching the Blue Man Group 2 in 3D. And, uh, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> what is this? What is going it's on? Avatar 2. Keep up. Keep up. Keep up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anyways. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> the oh. sun's still trying to get the water on my ears and mouth. Uh, you know what? It was, it was a pretty good film. Uh, <laughs> oh but this film is kind God. of like the. It's kind of like a great example of why I hate ratings because it's like a visually technical, from a visually technical perspective, it's absolutely beautiful. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's December right now and I I wanted to go to the beach like right after watching the movie because like the shots he has Mm. of the ocean and whatnot are just unreal. And, And like I've talked about on this podcast, like I love when water's used as kind of like a motif and symbol and it's like all over this, but Kind of the problems I still had. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) all the problems I had with the first one, as far as, like, the predictable story and, like, the boilerplate character archetypes are are still there. Like, you know, Jim didn't really innovate on that front uh, in the past 13 years since the last one. So, I mean, I gave it three stars. Um, It's not, like, terrible. Uh, I think it's definitely a movie you want to go see in theaters if you're going to experience it at all. Uh, but you know, just story-wise, it's it's not the greatest. I also think he could have cut some some stuff. I mean, it's like three hours and fifteen minutes. He really didn't. James Cameron cut things. Yeah, no, way. no not happening. But Mm-mm. he should have. <laughs> um, so the second thing I did is so my parents uh, this past weekend on Saturday uh, celebrated their forty fifth uh, anniversary Ooh. of marriage. Oh, and congratulations! So, yeah, congratulations yeah. To congrats. Um, so I ended up taking them to go see It's a Wonderful Life uh, on there the big screen. Is. And I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's not a whole lot to say about It's a Wonderful Life that hasn't already been said. So like I said, Ismail, I made it up to Jimmy. I went to go see him in theaters. Good. Gave that, you know, gave that purchase to TCM and, and Fathom Events. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still a great film. I mean, if you're not crying by the end of it, you have no soul. Uh, and even Ben Manklet says that at the end, so it's not just me who says that. Uh, <laughs> and then lastly, lastly, I can't forget. Uh, I know we're all excited that Messi won the World Cup. That's oh, amazing. Greatest yeah. of all time. But there's been an athlete that's just been hopping around in my mind since Friday. And his name is Matilda. Okay? So this this f- movie is called, <laughs> it's called Matilda. Yes. And it's a 1978 joint that stars Elliot Gould, 
Clive, uh, Clive Ravel, Robert Mitchum, and Luca Brasi from The Godfather, okay? Yes. Luca freaking Brasi. <laughs> Luca freaking Brasi. Uh, and it's produced by Albert Ruddy, who produced The Godfather. So, like, basically... Are you serious? Years, yeah, just a few years removed from The Godfather, he decided to, you know, do a boxing kangaroo. 2.4 uh, <laughs> average on Letterboxd. <laughs> oh, my God. Ignore the average. Ignore the average. Okay, we'll, we'll focus on Guti's average. Two stars from Guti. <laughs> Jesus should, uh, and, and good conscience, I get cannot give this more than two stars. If uh, I didn't care, I would 100% give this five stars. I was literally laughing the entire time. Uh, from the movies you've talked about on this podcast, Ron, you would 100% love this movie. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> It's like I saw that you uh, and Kev watched it. And oh, I almost watched it today. God. If I would have had time, I would have watched it. Oh, Is this the so proto good. Tubi movie or what? Yeah, I mean, it's on Tubi. It's on the Criterion channel, but I think it leads oh up here my in the God. It's, it, Trust me, this movie deserves a physical release. Tubi and I am and making Criterion. it my life's mission to get this on Blu-ray or DVD. It don't matter. This movie is amazing. I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it uh, before. I think I heard it. I heard about it uh, through a YouTuber that I watch. I forget who the the U- name of the YouTuber is, uh, but he brought it to my attention. And um, it, gosh, dude, I, it's just so good. It's so good. Please, please watch it and watch it with an open mind. <laughs> yeah. But but what what have you been up to, Esmo? Well, your boy. Uh, I haven't been able to watch too many movies either. A lot of work, work stuff going on. But um, I did get to watch one movie to get into the Christmas spirit, and that's Black Christmas, 1974's mm. Black Christmas. Um, a lot of like, so this is a slasher movie, and a lot of Halloween vibes, a lot of scream vibes. And I realized that this came out before Halloween. And I'm pretty sure that John Carpenter just owes his entire career to Black Christmas because this has got everything that Halloween had. Maybe better? I mean, I thought it was great. I really, really love Black Christmas. Um, Super gripping. Like, I think uh, just like most genre movies, like, there's a lot of, like, deeper themes that you can, like, take out of it that they may or may not have (laughs) uh, purposely put in. I think this might be a Christmas classic going forward here at the Viegas Garcia household. Um, nice. So, uh, yeah, it's just it was just super fun. I really loved it. I watched it with uh, Jackie and my brother Joaquin, and we just had a blast watching the whole thing. We were just, you know, there's just the scene where, like, an eye is beautifully lit, and I'm just on the floor. I cannot believe how good this <laughs> is. Um, it's, it's very scary <laughs> at points. Um Directed by Bob Clark. And then I was like, what else has this dude made? Uh, Bob Clark has made Black Christmas. He made A Christmas Story. But he's also made Baby Geniuses and Super Babies Baby Geniuses too. So, I mean, <laughs> what? I guess you could... <laughs> I guess you could just take that with a grain of salt um, in terms of who this director is. But, I mean, Black Christmas is its the real deal. I really, really like that. Does it, does it have a recurring theme like uh, Halloween? Um, oh, oh yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, recurring musical motif. Uh, Ron, Ron put the, uh, drop that proto, proto bar yeah, um, pro- right here. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it doesn't have that but it's got it's got the goods 
Black Christmas has got the goods, and I highly recommend everybody watch it here in this Christmas season. Um, but yeah, that's all. On? It is available on Shutter. It's also available Shutter, on nice. Tubi. 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 Um, <laughs> nice. I think it's available on Tubi. Actually, let me double check before I lie to our audience. Uh, it's available on Canopy. It's available on Tubi, and it's available on Shutter. So nice. Okay. Two of them are free, and Shutter is Shutter. Shutter is a great streaming service, though. A lot of good horror stuff. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I'm hopefully I want to do a a Jallo journey there with uh my boy Dario Argento. So um, we'll see. We'll see where 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 that takes me. Um, but that's all I watched. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's get into Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths. Came out this year, 2022. Came out just this last weekend. Um, Bardo, uh, directed by, I mean. I said the same thing about Guillermo, but the God, Alejandro <laughs> Gonzalez Iñárritu. I mean, uh, okay. Before we get into it, uh, <laughs> um, it, this this movie starring Daniel Jiménez Cacho, Grisela Siciliana, ah, oh, no, Siciliana, uh, Siciliani, um, Ximena La Madrid, Iker Sánchez Solano, Luz Jiménez. Uh, a lot of great actors in this, but really. It's the it's the Daniel Jimenez Cacho show, you know. Um, it, it follows him throughout the entire entire movie. I don't think there's a frame without him. Uh, so, um, yeah, let's get into Bardo um, again. Spoilers ahead. Please watch this movie before listening to this episode. Uh, we're gonna get into anything and everything. It's on Netflix, so you don't have an excuse. It's on Netflix. Netflix original. Um, so yeah, no excuse. Everyone's got Netflix. And if you don't have Netflix, go get your parents' Netflix, your cousin's Netflix, your anyone Ishmael's else's Netflix. Netflix. Get my Netflix. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have a Netflix and I use someone else's. Uh, sorry, Netflix, don't, don't come after me. I, I use my wife's. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, check it out on Netflix. Um, what are your respective histories with Iñárritu, González Iñárritu? Uh, Ron, why don't you go ahead and start? Uh, so I saw Birdman and Revenant in the theater when they came out. Mm. And uh, I, I didn't really... I know I knew the name because I knew of like Babel. I've, <laughs> as Ismail likes to point out, I have owned 21 grams for 20 years and still have not watched it. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't, I'm saving I it for think, the pod. Th- um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like you haven't watched like seventy five percent of your movie collection. <laughs> That's probably being generous. I probably, I probably haven't watched more. Um, uh, and then I watched Amoros Peros a couple months ago for for this show, the podcast. And, uh, that's 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 really about it. Well, yeah, Guti, how about you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm similar to Ron. Uh, I watched Birdman maybe. A year ago, uh, thanks to Ismail's uh, excellent recommendation for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really love the fact that uh, he put that on my radar. I even picked up the Blu-ray, so uh, I really loved it. Um, and then I also have seen Amortis Bechos, uh, which is you know one of the episodes we covered on this podcast, and I really enjoyed that as well. So, uh, so far, uh, he has never struck out for me, and mm. uh, I'm excited to talk about Bartho. And see All if right. uh, if maybe this is the film that he strikes out. 
Good thing you shut me, your dang we'll mouth right now. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Save it for the podcast, boy. And uh, for me, I feel like everyone already knows my love for Iñárritu. He's one no. of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, I remember watching Birdman for the first... I think Birdman is the movie that like really opened my eyes to like like capital C cinema, you know, or like, uh, or Scorsese, like pictures, you know, like this is like yeah, the OG, like this is freaking movies for me. This is like the most capital movie. Peliculas. Yeah. Peliculas. Like, that's what I want. This is what I need. <laughs> like, I just, uh, like Birdman is, it's, you'll, if you go to my profile, IVM, that's I V as in videos, M as in movies, uh, over at Letterboxd, usually Birdman is in my top four. My top four kind of just like rotates around depending on seasons, depending on just how I'm feeling that day, you know, just changing it up so it's not always so static. But more often than not, Birdman is up there. Like it is, I think, I think it's like when I think of masterpiece, like that is a legit masterpiece. Um, everything is perfect in that movie for me. And um, I really love it. And um, yeah, that's basically what opened my eyes to, to cinema, you know? So I really, really love it. Uh, I watched Revenant. It's pretty cool. You know, Leo gets eaten by a bear. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Babel <laughs> was pretty good. Um, I really like, I feel like uh, Iñárritu is really good with like these large sprawling uh, narratives because that and Amores Perros like really really well crafted um, so yeah I, I I gotta admit I've not seen Beautiful I know that people think that Beautiful is his least like best movie um, haven't watched it yet but um, I hope to see that soon so let's hear some historical context on Bardo False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths Guti take it away yeah, so uh, this film is a uh, 2022 uh, Mexican epic black comedy drama film co-written, co-composed, edited, produced, and directed mm, by mm, Iñárritu, mm, mm. Autor TM. Yeah. Uh, this film is the first film to be fully <laughs> filmed in Mexico and the first he's edited, him, edited himself since Amores Bejos in 2000, so it's a little bit of a homecoming for Iñárritu. Uh, his first movie. Like, uh. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, you can keep on talking. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> During the film, Iñárritu leans on historical locations and figures of his home country of Mexico to self-reflect on his heritage. In the film, you're taken to the Chapultepec Castle, which was a sacred place. I'm going to get murdered for that, but it's fine. For Aztecs and... <laughs> it's good. You said it right. <laughs> okay. It's fine. A sacred uh, place for Aztecs and has served several purposes during its history, including those of military academy, imperial residence, presidential residence, observatory, and since the 1940s, the National Museum of History. This castle, along with Iturbide uh, Palace... Iturbide, the Palace, also in Mexico City, are the only royal palaces in North America which were inhabited by monarchs. At the castle, we envision the events of the 1847 Battle of Chapultepec during the Mexican-American War. The battle holds historical significance for both countries. On the U.S. side, the Mexican loss opened the way for the Americans to take the center of Mexico City. The invasion also contained a number of lower-ranking U.S. Army officers participating in the invasion who would later become generals on both sides of the U.S. Civil War. Ulysses Grant, also eventually a U.S. president, 
and Robert E. Lee, amongst others. As for the Mexicans, the battle, as depicted in the film, has a complicated history, as the capture of the stronghold fell to the invaders. The fierce defense of the fierce defense of Chapultepec by military cadets at the military academy, six of whom died by leaping from the walls to their death. The Niños Heroes, boy heroes, were considered martyrs fighting to maintain Mexico's honor as a nation, who leapt to their deaths rather than be taken captive, with one wrapping himself in the Mexican flag. Their bravery and innocence was lauded in Mexico, as opposed to Mexican army generals, particularly Antonio López de Santa Ana, blamed for Mexico's defeat. Later in the film, the statue of the deity that we see has fallen over is of the Aztec deity Sentotel, who is believed to be the deity of Maíz. Shortly thereafter, we are treated to a scene where Silverio has a debate with Hernán Cortés, who is sitting atop a pile of corpses in the Zócalo, Zócalo being the common name of the main square in central Mexico City. But even more importantly, during the colonial period, it was the main ceremonial center in the Aztec city of Tenochtitlan. As I'm sure many of you know, Hernán Cortés is the Spanish conquistador who led an expedition that caused the fall of the Aztec Empire and brought large portions of what is now mainland Mexico under the rule of the King of Castile in the early 16th century. So we are big fans of him, obviously. <laughs> the film was shot. <laughs> the show. The film was shot and production completed was completed in 2021. The film's world premiere was at the 79th Venice International Film Festival. Uh, however, following the premiere at Venice and Telluride, Iñárritu removed 22 minutes from the film, making the release version 159 minutes, which is the version on Netflix. It has already garnered several awards and is the official submission of Mexico for the Best International Feature Film category of the 95th Academy Awards in 2023. Back to you, Ismael. Let's go on going over to the synopsis provided by our very own Ron. Ron, take it away. A silhouette of a man flies to the Mexican desert. Silverio Gama is a Mexican journalist turned documentary filmmaker living in Los Angeles with his wife Lucia and teenage son Lorenzo. His work has become increasingly personal and subjective as he has grown older. His latest film, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths is a work of docufiction with autobiographical elements. Silverio and Lucia are happy together, but they are haunted by the death of their infant first son, Mateo. They keep Mateo's ashes and feel unable to move on from his loss. Silverio experiences much of his day-to-day -day life in surreal fashion, with dreams, memories, and fantasies playing out alongside his activities, such as reliving the battle of Chapultepec, and having conversations with Hernan Cortez atop a pile of indigenous corpses. Silverio learns that he will be the first Latin American to receive a prestigious American award for journalism, but speculates that he is only receiving the award to ease tensions between the United States and Mexico. He cancels an interview on a popular talk show at the last minute, reminisces about his time as a husband and father, and tries to strike a balance between attacking the problems he sees with the Mexican state and defending its people from stereotypes. Secretly, he feels guilty over emigrating to the U.S. when so many other Mexicans cannot leave. Silverio and his family attend a party held in his honor, where he reunites with his daughter Camilla and his extended family. When the talk show host scathingly criticizes his work, Silverio flees into the restroom where he imagines reconciliations with his deceased parents. Before traveling back to Los Angeles, Silverio and his family vacation at a resort in Baja, California, and they scatter Mateo's ashes in the ocean. 
Once they arrive home in the U.S., they are treated with contempt by a Latin American customs official. While riding the LA Metro, Silverio suffers a stroke and is left unattended on the train for several hours. He languishes in a coma and is revealed that the events of the film so far have been his comatose brain's attempts to process his life experience. Camilla accepts the award in Silverio's absence, and she and his other family members and friends sit by his bedside, holding conversations and playing songs or television broadcasts that have inadvertently affected his dreams. In a near featureless desert within his mind, Silverio reunites with his dead family members and ignores projections of his living family. He sees a copy of himself, which mirrors his movements for a short time before walking away. The film ends as it began, with Silverio imagining himself flying through the desert. It is unclear if he has died, reawakened, or learned to live with his baggage. Okay, let's get into this shit. Uh, thank you so much, Ron, for that beautiful synopsis. Um, let's let's just get into it, Ron. Uh, uh, after that synopsis, why don't you go ahead and get us started? What are your thoughts on Bardo? Okay, the uh, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, um, I'm not really sure how how to bring it up because like. There's a lot going on in this movie. Oh, um, yeah. There, yeah. Loads. There are there are a lot of um Inyaritu obviously has a lot that he's he's trying to say. Um and I think uh I I often have like I have a lot to say about a lot of different topics, but I, I don't always know quite how to articulate them. Uh and I, I'm kind of getting that from from this movie in in, in a lot of respects. Like he's, Ron. I feel like, <laughs> like, like he's just taken like everything that he's been holding inside for like forever, and then just like and just putting it out there. Like he's he's talking about immigration and relations between Mexico and the United States. He's mm-hmm. talking about imperialism. Mm-hmm. He's talking about capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking about privilege. Like he's talking mm-hmm. about the difference between. Um, between growing up, you know, Latino in Mexico and growing up Latino, growing up as a Mexican in the United States, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's so much. He's talking about the loss of his child. Um, oh. He's putting so much of himself into this movie. And like, um, it all, I, I like, I want to say like happens at such a, a breakneck pace, but it really doesn't. Like the pacing isn't, isn't quick at all. But like, there's just so much being put into it that it's it's hard to like really grasp everything. And I'm not even saying that as a positive or a negative. It's just it's like you can tell the dude's got a lot on his mind, and you can tell that like he he's got a lot in his soul that he's wrestling with. And um, and it took a bit for me to kind of figure out like, okay, how does all this weave together? But I think that's that's really the point because like I think. Um, I think all of us are kind of just like walking around, like we've got all this stuff rattling around all the time. Like we're all, I mean, maybe not, hopefully not all of us, but like, I know a lot of us are like wrestling with, with identity and wrestling with, you know, how, what makes us, us and like our, our places in the world. And I, I think that the choices that he's made, the things that he's chosen to put on the screen the dialogue that he's chosen to represent even there are a couple minutes where i think it's where i think it's pretty ham-fisted but like i don't know that 
there's any other way for him to get this stuff out and for him to be so vulnerable on the screen. Um, again, whether you like it or not, like I, I really commend it. I, I really like appreciate what he's trying to do. He's really trying to, um, to be really reflective and, and, and kind of just take whatever's in his head and, and put it on the screen as best he can. And I think that's what, really what a lot of um, great filmmakers do. I just don't know how successful they always are uh, all are at it. But um, what do you, do you guys have any thoughts on any thoughts on that? I know as someone who I know as someone, I guess I'll start it off this way. Uh, basically, as far as the identity front goes, I think what's, amazing and makes this film so interesting is that even though it's a personal film from Inyaritu, we know that this is personal for him. It's not necessarily an issue that isn't shared, that isn't also shared by many of many non-white creators here in the United States, right? Who have come from different backgrounds. I mean, if you think about it, let's just call a spade a spade. A lot of the non-white creators, let's say, you know, just for <clears throat> the sake of the example purpose, like Latinx creators who are going in front of these executives, a lot of the times the executives are, you know, they're dingoes, you know, they're white mm. males. Um, and maybe something that they may have in their story that comes from their heritage, from wherever they come from, you know, Mexico, Nicaragua, wherever, may not necessarily resonate with those executives. And so that Mm -hmm. executive may give them the notes like, Hey, you know, like audience here in the United States are not going to get this. Right. Um, Or that's too Mexican. Like they're not going to catch on what that is. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so by them getting those type of notes, right. Because you want to appease, you know, these executives, you want to get your movie made, right. You take, you make sacrifices with your script. And I think that's partially what he's trying to tangle with here. Like, it's like, you know, I got to express myself creatively to an extent because, you know, because after Amores Perros, all his films were basically made here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and this is his first return back to shooting in Mexico, like I mentioned in the historical context. So for him, it's like, you know, I got to express myself creatively. I got these budgets to make these big films with these stars, whatever that I've always kind of, maybe he's always dreamed of when he was a kid. But at the same time, they turn, because of the sacrifices he has to make, they turn out to be gringo films, like films that are more identified with what we consider popular culture here in the United States than maybe in Mexico or anywhere else, right, um, that that person may be coming from. So I think he is struggling with that kind of that phrase that's always thrown out, like, ni de aquí, ni de allá, where it's like, how do you love your new home and where you've grown your, you know, where you've had your kids, where your kids have now made a life for themselves, but also love your former home? Because a lot of the times, you know, you go back to, like we see in the movie, you go back to Mexico or whatever, and people were like, yeah, you basically sold out. Yeah, you may have gotten to make your movies or whatever, but you're no longer for us. So it's it's a tough, it's a really tough situation. And like I said, it's not only particular to Inyaritu. It happens to any sort of creative uh, 
you know, non-white creative who is in the field and even people who are not necessarily working in Hollywood. Like this is something that happens in everyday life, work places, uh, et cetera. Like I know I've dealt with issues like that before. So I think that was really brave. Like you said, I think it was really brave of him to, to tackle that on. And uh, that's what makes this more universal than just a personal story from Iñárritu. But uh, what do you think, Desmo? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a lot going on, but I do think, I mean, spoilers ahead, but I think he does everything so well. He does everything. He, uh, I don't know. Like he, he makes everything so digestible, but at the same time, like ambiguous and making it perfect for like the audience to just interpret what he wants to say. But at the same time, like you said, Ron, sometimes sometimes it's ham-fisted and sometimes it just it sometimes it needs to be. Sometimes it just works that way. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I think I think he does an incredible job here. I think um he does not pull back punches whatsoever. I think he is this is kind of like a blank check movie where he's just like, you know what, I'm gonna do whatever the heck I wanna do now. Uh I just made you know the Revenant, one best picture, one best director, look like I uh, made Birdman, one best picture, one best director. So now now they're just giving him the keys to the castle, you know? And so now he's just all the, he hasn't made a movie or a feature length movie, at least for seven years. Um, the only other thing that he's made is, um, he made a, a VR experience that you can go see like in museums and stuff, uh, carne y arena, uh, which is translates to flesh and sand, but it's about like the immigrant experience going through like, like the harsh life of an immigrant experience crossing through the desert. Right. And, um, that's like kind of what also, motivated him to make this movie and like add the whole immigrant narrative here and what does it mean to be who you are like what does it mean to be from mexico or from the united states or uh, like uh, at what point like are you one or the other are you both or can you ever be both um so that's what he he did with carne arena and i think like ya con eso like make like he had the like i said the keys to castle to make Mardo. and since he hasn't made a movie in seven years he's just got a lot to say so many things happening in mexico since he uh last um made a movie and um i think i don't know i i honestly don't even remember what the original question was ron but i think he <laughs> he does a, a fantastic job of juggling so many different themes at least for myself i think he yeah, i think it's great <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question straight on, Ron, but you talked Say it about again, identities. Ron. Say it again. You, you, t- you talked no, about identity. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> yeah, you talked about identity, and I was like, you know what? That, I'm just gonna go on that. <laughs> I mean, I loved like I loved his whole piece on identity. I mean, I think the whole obviously the whole movie's about you know identity. I mean, the whole the movie's called Bardo, which is like being in limbo, like being in limbo right. between and the 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 name for the movie uh, while it was during it was during production was Limbo. And um, it's just Hmm. about like, it's just about like, who are you? Where are you from? Can you be from one place or the other? Can you be from both places? Um, Mm -hmm. I thought like the very, like in one of the very first scenes, um, after, you know, the whole shoving a baby back in because (laughs) the world is not a a great place. Um, When he, when you first see him in the, in the trolley, in the the metro, uh, he's just there con sus ajolotes and then the bag breaks and the ajolotes are like on the on the ground but it's like 
shallow water and he could still go and look for them. And the way that I saw it, like right away, it was like, because ajolotes are very, a very, very Mexican, like animal. Um, mm-hmm. It's just synonymous. Right. Um, and, and him losing that bag and trying to look for it, like immediately was like, he's losing his Mexican identity. He wants to like retrieve it back, you know? Um, and I think, uh, you know, and, and that's like right from like the very first couple of scenes, like it is insane. And, um, <sighs> I mean, I feel like it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to really get with this wavelength specific, like Mexicans in Mexico are going to be like, I think it is mucho. And then, um, uh, people from the U S are like, Oh, this is too Mexican. What, what's even going on here? Mm-hmm. But right. then like, uh, Mexican Americans or, you know, as Guti said, like people that are from other places or immigrants coming into the United States, like, it hits so freaking hard. <laughs> like it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and like, and he like just fights it head on. Like at that one scene when his friend is talking to him at the party and he's like basically calling him like a super like creído that like he turned yeah. his back on his country um, and all these things. And he just doesn't want to hear him anymore. Like, like that's Iñárritu already like saying, I know what you guys are going to say. I'm going to put you guys in this movie mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you all to shut the fuck up because I do not care what you have to say about this because this is my experience and I'm just telling you what it is, you know, like, and it is like this docu-fiction uh, sort of like experimental film going on. Like it's, it's just, I mean, all I got to say, Ron, is cosine. Like I, like in terms of all this uh, immigration talk, like and the whole, I, the aspect of identity and like trying to find out who are you? in all this it's just ah, wow like in my in my letterbox review it's just i said i feel seen like this is he he knows exactly exactly what to say there are some things that he like there are some lines of dialogue here and i'll save it for later but like where it's just like how does he know that i'm thinking this <laughs> it's, it's just really incredible so yeah uh, i gotta say on, yes. uh, on actually on the uh on the point of the acolotes that you're talking about when I actually saw that scene, so I, I love your interpretation of it, uh, but when I saw that scene, I actually thought of uh, David Lynch because mm-hmm. David Lynch often talks about, uh, and he even has a book called Catching the Big Fish. Mm-hmm. And so essentially what the idea of it is, is right, like going into you know, the, a river or a body of water, right, and trying to catch those fishes that can are that are basically ideas that are eventually going to make a movie. So I honestly, that's the way I, when I first saw it, that's how I interpreted it. But obviously like towards the end, you know, I definitely agree with the interpretation that you have, you know, when they're just basically dead on the floor. Right. (laughs) Yeah. They're just dead on the floor. He's dying, having a stroke. Um, And like this whole movie taking place in limbo while he's in a coma, you know, like, uh, like the, the lady that's doing the interview that found him, uh, her name is Refugio um she or a refugia and uh which again like if you try to translate like re- refugia refuge refugee like it's it's insane like um uh she she's having the interview of like you know i found him i thought he was drunk because uh, that happens a lot here um but he wasn't and then that scene is like right at the beginning like this whole thing mm-hmm. and then it's also just like magical realism just like at its finest fucking i swear to god like I think, um yeah yeah it's um yeah but anyways uh uh ron that was your first point guti let's go into your first point for bardo 
Okay. Well, t- technically, the identity thing was my first point. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll count that one in there. Uh, but another one is uh, I the scene that I really enjoyed, too, was the discussion with his father mm-hmm. uh, in the bathroom. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I love the decision of him making uh Siverio, you know smaller than yeah than like his a father child, uh, up. exactly like a child because it kind of it kind of made me think of like you know even though we grow up we become adults etc mm. like no matter what our parents always think of us as the child i mean i know mm. i know my parents do like i mean i'll go over and visit my parents and it doesn't matter how white my teeth are or like how you know fresh mint my breath is before i leave my dad's gonna be like don't you know don't forget to, to brush your teeth or like don't forget <laughs> to do this right so it's like you know they're always you know they're always looking at you as that little kid and they can't quite put together like oh man this is like a real adult man <laughs> like i really i really enjoyed that little conversation that they had and it also kind of reminded me too like sometimes you'll you'll go into, you know, when you go visit your parents, you'll kind of turn into that little kid you were when you were growing up with mm-hmm. them, you know? You, you always go back to certain childhood habits, like, you know, for example, for me, like, I love licking the mashed potato spoon once my mom's done making her mashed potatoes. Like, the, and, the, and I don't do that in my own house, but whenever I'm at my parents' mm-hmm. house, it's just like a reflex, right? And it's kind of the same <laughs> reflex that my dad has by telling me to brush my teeth before I leave the house every, you know, uh, every time I visit them. So I really enjoyed that conversation. I love that. Um, I love that choice from Iñárritu. And then I also like the fact that he's like, you know, like, you know, uh, I think his father's like, you know, you, I never told you how, you know, how proud I was of you or whatever. And he's, and he responds, uh, you know, you told me basically your own way. Right. And I don't know if, I don't think he was saying it in a way where like, you know, he's being sarcastic or anything. I think he was truly meaning like, hey, his dad, you know, through little actions, little unspoken words. Like, I feel like with any parent, parent-kid relationship, there's a little unspoken language between you two. And I think that that's kind of what he was trying to drive at, that like through his dad's actions, maybe he saw, he knew that he was proud of him and it didn't need to be said. And I thought that was really beautiful. Um, or at least that's the way I took it. Um and then, and then I love the quote uh, at the end too, where he's just like, you know, he's got to basically swig success and, and spit it out, yeah. you know, because uh, at the end of the day, you know what they say. <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, uh, complacency is the enemy of success. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I really enjoyed that conversation. That was maybe one of the like, I mean, there's a lot of highlights in this film. Uh, Hell spoiler yeah. alerts, but <laughs> uh, but that one definitely stuck out to me, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. The um okay so the little kid Inyaritu or Silverio or I mean let's it's Inyaritu yeah, yeah we all <laughs> um, know it's Inyaritu yeah. this fool yeah. we, we know so <laughs> it reminded me of the George Lopez show when they would do the flashbacks <laughs> yeah, of them as kids was, with the big old heads oh yes yes I so I could not think that. of that <laughs> yeah the whole conversation with his dad was really really great. A couple quotes that I put was like La depresión es de los burgueses or something. He's basically, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's a very Mexican <laughs> thing to say. Um, and then uh, he also said, uh, well, yeah, the quote that you said, like, el éxito, tómate un traguito y escúpelo si no te acaba envenenando. Um, yep. It's uh, it's just really great stuff here. And then, like, it almost seems like Iñárritu, like, putting this in the movie and, like, 
saying everything that he wanted to tell his own father um, that he couldn't tell him. You know, it's just really, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a really great scene. I think it's a really great scene. I do think, yeah, the the CGI is not the greatest <laughs> with the with the head on <laughs> with the head on a child. You know, but uh, I dug it. I thought it was pretty funny at first, and then yeah, uh, you get past like how it looks funny but then like you just get ingrained with what they're saying um and you just you just love it for what it is so yeah that's uh yeah <laughs> um so what's your first point Ismail? for me oh man i got so many points here um and i've been crossing them off as we've been talking about them like the whole um starts off flying and then uh can't fly and then ended up flying at the end i talk about magical realism at its finest i mean this is some amazing stuff here uh like the house full of sand and um him looking for the acolotes and um it's just or like him talking without like moving his lips or um or meeting hernan cortez like on top of a bunch of bodies only for it to be a movie at the end um it's just uh it's a lot, but let, let me, all those points we already talked about. So, um, <laughs> let's see, let's see what I, what I want to talk about. I mean, this, uh, I'll go with one of the first points, like, um, in terms of like, he's straight up saying like, you know, Mexico was stolen, right? <laughs> like, and, yeah. and like, it's just yeah. like, he's just like putting it out there real early in the real movie, too. early in the movie, just like, straight up saying yeah. like, you know, like, come on, really? You paid for it, really? Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> like, um, and like, I love that the dude too was like the guy was totally bringing up the same arguments that like, yeah. like well, actually, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> absolutely hate those arguments, and like, and yet it was just like, you know what? Fuck this! Fuck you! This is what this is a real deal, and uh, yeah. I was just like, hell yeah, man! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. Say, I love like he basically walks him down the hall. And he's like, "Come no." He basically he's like saying, "Come on down." He like opens the door and like he's <laughs> oh, seen the battle and everything. God. While he's, I'm like, that's Jesus. also part of my, my point. Like the whole reenactment scene, I love it so so much. Like he just like opens the door, boom, here we go. There's an, an act, a reenactment of like a bunch of people fighting each other. Um, de los niños héroes, of course. Um, uh, basically schooling anyone that doesn't know about that already, uh, a.k.a. anyone outside of Mexico. Um, uh, I thought it was hilarious when, like, <laughs> dude, at the very end, he's, like, giving this heartfelt speech about, like, que Mexico si, like, que nunca se olvida de esta historia, que no sé qué, y viva Mexico, cabrones! And I was like, oh, my yeah. God, that was such a... <laughs> Ay, González, señorito, you... You're you're funny, dude. You're a funny man. Like, I, I, it's just it's so good. Like, I I also really love the music in that portion. I love the recurring tuba that he's got going on. Oh. <laughs> that shit in my veins like i love it so, so much <laughs> um 
Uh, what else do I want to say is my first point. Like, I guess that whole that whole like opening scene of uh the opening scene of where like we have like a a through narrative going on. You know what I mean? Because obviously the opening scene is very much not that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that I guess my first point is uh because I feel like that I feel like that first scene kind of encapsulates i can speak english encapsulates everything uh that i like about this movie like the cinematography is banging right it's so good the music is really great and then also he's like injecting it with such like mexican influence that like if you know you know you know, like the like the whole military band. Like a lot of people might not know that it's a military band, but it is. Like um, th- that they're all marching together with those drums and those trumpets. Um, it sounds incredible. Uh, and then the whole. Oh God, well, I'll get into it later. That uh, that's another point later about uh, the uh, military trumpets. But um, but okay. So the the cinematography is great. The the message that he's giving is straight up and really well told. It's kind of fucking hilarious <laughs> and uh um and he's just i don't know i feel like everything in that opening scene is just perfection and also like flexing that he's at el castillo de chapultepec like oh my goodness um it's so gorgeous uh i have never gone but it's on my bucket list to go i mean i've only been to the after for like one single day so i couldn't really do much but uh that's definitely up there for things that i would like to see um uh but yeah uh i think this opening scene this opening sequence of like the narrative going on is really great because it's also like highlighting of like you know you're gonna get this american award but you know the americans are doing it kind of like for a cost where they're like oh you're not gonna like you don't want me to change my speech right and he's like well you haven't written it yet so there's nothing to change really i'm just like come on the fuck on dog like (laughs) i i i i don't know i I just think it's it's masterfully done this whole opening sequence. I know it's not as deep as the the, the identity theme that we talked about first with Ron um uh or the beautifully heartfelt speech that he has with his his dad, but just this opening scene was just baller. Like I really think that like Inyaritu's on the top of the mountain in terms of like knowing how to direct the shit out of scenes. He is so good at it. Like with this, with the the dancing sequences and the party in Mexico, um, he just knows. Mm-hmm. He he just knows exactly how to get what he needs, and it looks amazing. I'm like in love with the visuals here. So yeah, that's my first point. <laughs> um, I don't know if y'all have anything to, to touch on that, but it's just yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you talking about the dancing scene was something that I was going to talk about, Oof. particularly because, like, yeah, I've I've been there, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've never been to Mexico. I've never been in, like, a club or anything like that in Mexico, but I've been around my family, and, like, you know, them having that party for them and everything, like, that's, like, that's exactly, it's, it's so, like, realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, right down to, like, the way everybody was dancing. Like, when they, when it goes from, like, the, the the cumbia into the mm-hmm. into the David Bowie acapella oh, yeah. like needle drop <laughs> like yeah it's just all of that like the way everybody was dressed the way they were moving the way they were interacting with each other like yeah it's like you were you were there like it's it's such a perfect sequence mm-hmm. in that film 
yeah. then also people uh, I've heard people not like that scene because it doesn't add, mm-hmm. like quote unquote add anything to it but there's like so much character mm-hmm. development happening here like mm-hmm. you see his daughter for the first time here you see mm-hmm. like 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 he's obviously loves his family because he's dancing with them but he's also kind of a scumbag because like he keeps on getting flirted on and like <laughs> kind of going along with it um like it's just like one at one point he like yanks the 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 hair like to get the attention of his friend and then like mm. uh, what it seems like it's the friend's wife like kind of like is getting all touchy with him and he's like accepting of it i'm like dude get the fuck out of here like i just and, and then like you get um his his wife um lucia like paying attention to all those things that like it's very very small things like the the first lady that that's like oh yeah todo tu trabajo and she's like pues yo también quiero mucho de tu trabajo you know like or like when he's about to go um, dance with another lady uh and lucia just like very gracefully swiftly just like interrupts that and doesn't let it happen like there's a lot of character development happening just just with the dancing sequences by itself i think it's mm. it's so good it's so good oh yeah and i mean going back to the just to the music like dude when he needle drops hector was, lowell oof. i'm a huge freaking hector lowell fan i was oh my god he goes there el dia de mi suerte to Iwanile, are you kidding me? And yeah. I mean, and and, and and if you guys have listened to, uh, if if you know everyone who's listening uh, has had a chance to check out our Amortis Battles episode, uh, you know, like based off of Inaripu's, uh background, like he started in radio, and mm-hmm. so like I mean, he's just needle dropping after needle dropping, like every single lot. Like he goes to that, like you said, the cumbia zapoteca, like it's just insane, and it really reminded me of Mortis Battles because he has a lot of great mm-hmm. songs in that as well. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Ismo. Like I think that that scene is is pretty, nece- you know, the party scene is pretty necessary, and it has a lot of yeah. great, you know, characterization and. Uh, characterization development in it um and yeah i i mean i don't see why that would you know be anything i mean especially since it goes from you know latin music like you said ron to that david bowie like it kind of also adds to the fact that like he doesn't know who like he's struggling with who he is right mm-hmm. and like he's dancing to that music and then all of a sudden the lights go out or you know the music goes out right and also everyone's so, dancing to something else while he's dancing to that by himself like everyone's right, on a different right. beat and he's just by himself yeah it's exactly so it's just you know it's just that struggle with the identity you have and that's only one part of that that sequence Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it's it's a really rich scene that i think uh does a lot for the film yeah well yeah that's my first point uh for this movie um bardo uh uh ron how about what's your what's your second point for for bardo my second point is the great nation of Mexico. Mm. Um, this was shot entirely in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, Mexico, Mexico. And uh, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of movies stateside that take place mostly in Mexico, a lot of it's the desert or really like disenfranchised areas. Um, and I think this movie does a good job of really showing the diversity of, you know, I mean, cause there, you know, there's, there's a very significant scenes in, in the desert here, but like Mexico city, like, um, when they're at that, that Ooh. resort and everything, yeah. um, that like, it really shows like how, how beautiful and how diverse, uh, Mexico is. Um, and the one thing that like actually really struck me because 
there's there's a portion of the movie that takes place in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's on the Metro when he has a stroke and everything. Uh, and it's got like, I don't know if either of you have ever read the Metro in L.A. I've read the Metro in L.A. Yeah. I've gotten off at that same exposition park stop. Yep. And if I wasn't watching to see what was there, I wouldn't have known because it sounds like, you know, like the um, the PA says, mm-hmm. like, it's it's the same tone. It says, like, you know, get off here for the Natural History Museum mm-hmm. and like, um, you you know, the, the African American History uh, Museum. Close to that, uh, when I was yeah. at USC, yeah, love that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. USC is right there. The Science Center is right there. Um, so, but uh, you know, watching it, I could tell like that's that's not LA, but you wouldn't you wouldn't know wouldn't that. Know and like the one thing that that really got me was, I think. And I think the movie even like there's there's a bit of the the movie that's you know there's there's the argument of Mexico versus the United States, and you know like he's got that scene with his daughter um, at at the pool where they're they're, they're oh, talking I about. I love that you scene. Know, yeah, yeah, like you know the, the differences and stuff, and um, and uh, so there's there's a a part in the movie where they they go home to to LA and it's this like really nice suburban area with all these beautiful trees and all these beautiful homes and stuff like that and you know um that's all mexico too mm-hmm. so you know i i really dig that it it shows more than just you know the 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 disenfranchised parts of uh, of the country like there's it's it's such a diverse place and with a a, a diverse you know people and, and culture and stuff and um and i just i just dug that it was shot entirely in mexico and he he does you know um show significantly the different different parts of it yeah i really loved uh the like the way that he shot mexico city is it's just really incredible stuff like um the fact that he got that whole area in Socalo like totally mm-hmm. empty. What the fuck? <laughs> like that is insanity. Like, that's, a it's lot like, of, that's a lot of pool. It's, it's as it's as if you're it's as if you're saying, you know what, I'm just gonna shut down Times Square in New York City. You know? Like it's Well, that's exactly in my letterbox review. I joked, Oh, I bet in your Ritu like likes vanilla sky because <laughs> Cameron Crowe shut down Times Square and Vanilla Sky for Tom Cruise to run through. So that's instantly what I thought of yeah. when I saw that. It's just insane. Yeah, that's a baller move it's to super empty baller. that place out. Super baller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And um, it's also kind of like a shout out back to like the Mexican Golden Images cinema where like they were really focusing on like landscapes and stuff and trying to show like the beauty that is Mexico. And that's its own whole thing. But like, Inyaritu does it here too, you know, like it's such a beautiful country and people, anytime they think of Mexico, at least in the United States, it's just like a yellow tinted desert, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, but it's not true. What's like, it's not true. And it's just, it's just such a diverse, like country that people just pinned down to like no it's just this one thing it's just really frustrating but um it's not all sicario yeah it's not all sicario yeah, it's, not, <laughs> it's not that it's Wait, not all what? breaking bad you know <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not all this and um uh yeah it's just beautifully beautifully done i love it so much um and also like to point out that conversation that he has with his daughter about where she's gonna live like is in mexico is in the united states it's like super duper realistic because think about it. 
think about it like from her perspective you know like um well again and this is another thing like he he says that they're like for uh migrantes de primera clase first class migrants like they don't they don't, didn't go to the united states because they had to it's because they chose to you know and um a lot of uh first generation americans uh go through this where their parents t uh came over to the united states um because for a better life or um uh, because they had to and then having the conversation of like what if i want to go back you know it is not an easy thing to do like i've toyed with the idea of like going back to go live in um uh not in mexicali mexicali is where like all my family is uh but there's not really many computer science jobs there but like going to the to live there like i thought about it very seriously before and i mean i hadn't told anyone other than my wife but like um <laughs> it's just something that like how do you communicate that you know and like like you like leaving everything that you have to come out of the united states and then also saying like going back it's like it's such a tricky conversation to have because it's also like You left everything to come here, and now I'm going back. It's like, whoa. It's, like, not an easy thing to do. And I'm really glad that, like, Silvedo here is, like, um, uh, being very, like, supportive of the idea of going back. But then also reminding her, uh, like, hey, if you're going to go back, remember, like, oh, sure, like, all your friends live in, like, super gated communities. So you're going to have to, like, I don't know if you want that type of life. And, um, and then, which also feeds into him talking about how, like, uh like anytime someone criticizes mexico he's all about it but anytime someone's like adored with mexico right. he uh yeah. tells you everything that's wrong with it which is yeah. just which yeah uh, yeah super which believable that's my grandpa to a t super so. true yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, i was that was gonna be one of my points uh so i'll cross it off but like literally i i, I feel like i'm rambling but um this 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 whole like the the conversation that he has uh with lucia his wife in the kitchen And she says, siempre haces esto. Si alguien ama México, dices que tiene todo lo que tiene de malo. Like, if, you, if anyone says, uh, like, that they love Mexico, you have to tell them why they're wrong and all the things that are wrong with it. But if someone even dares to criticize Mexico, you have to remind them how perfect it is. It's cultural, gastronomic, uh, like, advancement and all that stuff. Like, <laughs> I, like, I related so hard, so hard to that quote it's not even it's 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 insane like i that, one of the things that i when i said like is in my head or something that's one of the quotes like it's it's just it's so perfect what he said it's incredibly perfect it's yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah, i mean just feeding off of that because it goes into my into my second point actually okay, yeah, let's go is to the uh point. you know th thinking about like no like thinking about the uh you know, when he, when he comes back to the, the States, right. And he's going through immigration or whatever, and he has to give his yeah. citizenship. Oh, like, yeah. like I, for me, I, if, you know, it, it, that scene, just thinking about it, I've had conversations with uncles and aunts and this kind of goes with what we talked about where they're like, yeah, you know, I have my citizenship here in the United States. You know, I, I've made a good life. You know, I raised my kids here. But when I retire, I want to go back to Nicaragua, right? Or I want to go back to X country. And it's like, and as me, as like someone who grew up here, was born here, right? Even though I, you know, lit, you know, was raised in a traditional Nicaraguan household, uh, you know, I, I think to myself often, like, why would you go back to Nicaragua? Like, mm -hmm. or any of those, or any maybe, you know, Central right. American country, because obviously the opportunities here are, are way more uh and you know at least for nicaragua 
the, the you know the political stability instability there is is not something that you want to be a part of especially economically it's unstable so i'm like why would you want to do that but that scene really pointed in my mind like it doesn't matter how long they've been here in the states you know they've learned english and they can speak it fluently like it's never going to truly be their home and they're always mm-hmm. going to remember themselves growing up in their home country and are going to want to come back to that. I mean, there's people who stay here, right? Like, I'm going to assume, like, you know, Silverio, Ngarito, whatever, maybe might stay here in the States. Who knows, right? Um, and they're comfortable with that and not going back to their home country. But there's a lot of people who, who immigrate here to the States who come and they, they're like, you know what, I'm going to get my my money, I'm going to raise my family, etc. but then I'm going to go back to my origin country because that's where I want to be. But mm-hmm. the flip side of that and why it becomes even more complicated, because this even happens with my parents, is they uh, immigrated, you know, almost 40 years ago. And even though they speak Spanish fluently and can write it fluently and read fluently and watch Spanish television all the time, et cetera, et cetera, they go back to Nicaragua and they start talking to a local and that local already knows that they're, you know, they're from Gringo land for mm-hmm. another, you know, extra reason yeah. because of the fact that they've been here for so many years that you start missing some of the accents mm-hmm. maybe on certain words or the way that people speak there in Nicaragua. So it's like, you know, you come here to get, give your, your family a better life. But then when you want to go back to your home country at the same time, like you're not necessarily from there anymore because of the experience that you've had in your life. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we haven't made that point already, there's, there's a lot in here, but yeah, that really, re- that really <laughs> resonated with, yeah, that really resonated with me and it made me think like, okay, I, you know, you know what? I kind of get why my uncle or aunt or family might want to go back, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the whole scene, like also in the, in the, in the airport, I think it's so, so well done, especially like, uh, when they're like arguing with the dude and he's like, no, you're not American. It's like, otro. like you only have a visa. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, you know, you look more Mexican than I do. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I know you understand me. I know you speak Spanish. He, um, I love, loved, loved when the U S soldiers basically that we get back from the beginning of the movie and are back here. And the U S soldiers are all like, like indigenous Mexicans but dressed up in the U.S. uniform with blonde wigs. Right, yeah. And, like, they just uh-huh. looked straight into the... Ca- I was like, oh, my God. Like, basically, these people just abandoning who they are just to, like, to be here yep. and be fully American and, like, not, like, being in touch with their roots. I was like, oh, my God. Like, and yet to saying all that just with this U.S. soldier dressed up, uh, uh, this Mexican soldier dressed up as the, with the U.S. uniform is just in incredible and how that parallels with everything that the uh, immigration officer was saying it's incredible it's, it's insane it's insane i yeah, yeah i love it it's a it's the <laughs> saddest thing too because you know i've you know i've in my personal life i've met people who you know they're of a, you know mexican heritage latin american heritage and they have no mm-hmm. connection to that whatsoever you know no or they don't even attempt to you know they don't even attempt you know, that's the saddest part for me is when and that like, and that's the saddest part yeah mm-hmm. for sure when so like don't, don't even try it it's just yeah yeah it's just it's sad man it's the saddest thing when i when i run into the people like that and just have no care in the world for mm-hmm. where their family mm-hmm. came from and their culture and their heritage it just it makes me sad a lot i'm gonna stop <laughs> <laughs> anything to touch on that run so i i mentioned um a, a couple things I thought were were a little ham fisted in 
in in the beginning. And I do so when he's talking to I don't remember what his position was. I just know he's the guy that plays the announcer in Angels in the Outfield. But um, <laughs> the uh, the dude in the castle when they when they do the reenactment uh-huh. and um, and also the um, the uh, the the bit at, in, in customs. Um, I. <sighs> I don't know. I think, I think the, honestly, I think they could have been written better, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what though? Like how exhausting is it to keep having to put things like this in, in movies? Mm -hmm. Like they wouldn't do it if it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, when it happened, the, the, the customs in particular, like part of me was like, oh man, is he really doing this? But then at the same time, like it made my blood boil like that because stuff like that happens all the time. All the time. And it's like, okay, you know what? Like if it wasn't necessary, he wouldn't do it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't really have anything particular to add. Just like it's, yeah, the idea that, you know, like you, you've lived somewhere for such a long time, but it's not your home because of a piece of paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so like even now, like right now, I'm like I can feel myself like getting, you know, like Riled getting up. heated. <laughs> uh, yeah, like right. it's just like I, yeah, it's it's such an infuriating way of thinking. Um, and like, and then going back to the beginning because the whole, you know, like, yeah, like it, there was no there was no war. Mm-hmm. The United States invaded invaded. Mexico. Like, took it wasn't it. a war. It was <laughs> oh well, there were losses on both sides. Like Pentejo. Right. Like no, the, no, that's so that, one that's side not what happened. <laughs> yeah, and then and then, you know, like I mean, yeah, like I I don't want to get too like crazy with like history and everything, but I mean, yeah, even when like you know the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and everything, like even when they were working out, like okay, well, like the United States can you know can have this portion, like they kept pushing the border, yeah, like is... they wanted way more of it than you know, like um. And, it, and to think that they got California, a, hello, gold yeah. rush, anybody? What the fuck? Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah. that's so for me, like I, I hate like you know I I grew up in the Los Angeles area, and there's 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 a mixture of of people in L.A. and I I hate the the go back to where you came from argument. Mentality, oh my, God. um, for a lot of different reasons, but. What, like my great grandmother's family has been in California since it was Mexico. Where are we gonna go back to? Right. It's fucking bullshit. I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It got me all riled up when I saw it. It's getting me all riled up thinking about it right now. Yeah, and even and even to the point where like uh, when he's at the customs or whatever, uh, and, and he's like, "Dude, I pay taxes here." I'm like, "I'm literally paying your government." <laughs> yeah. You're saying that this isn't my home country, like. Uh screw you dude like <laughs> it's it's ins- yeah it's disgusting dude but <sighs> See, love you. And on that happy note yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then on that happy note let's go that segue. let's go into my second point an even happier note about uh Iñárritu basically talking about los desaparecidos in mexico like there's yeah okay sorry to be a downer again but like uh like Ron said, like Inerito's got so much to say here, so so much, and a really big issue in Mexico is um, the the fact that so many people go missing, right? And mm-hmm. um, you know, missing, who knows like what missing means? Are they actually missing? Missing? Or are they just killed and then just thrown into a pit somewhere? Which you know, 
we've seen so many times in Mexico. Um, but this is not a political podcast. But the they do they do bring. Um, I thought I thought what he did was extremely like quick, but well done. Where um, you know he's in uh, he's in La Ciudad de Mexico. He's just there ordering some tacos. You know, dos de lengua, muy bien. <laughs> uh, good, good order, good order. Uh, I mean, if you if it's it's a reach, but si ordena dos de lengua, he's getting two uh, tongue tacos. Uh, lengua is another way of saying language, uh, you know, so two languages, uh, <laughs> English and Spanish. There we go. Um, so where are you going? But anyways, uh, again, I'm getting way too ahead of myself. He <laughs> is just ordering food and then a person just falls. A woman just falls and he's just like, are you okay? And like, no. Um, and like, uh, everyone's ignoring her. Everyone's just walking past her. And she's like this representation of the desaparecidos. And then people come over and they're like, solo se quieren quejar. Um, like, uh, which, uh, sorry, I, I, I use a lot of Spanish in this podcast, but <laughs> uh, they only complain is what they're saying. That, that's all they want to do. Um, everyone's ignoring, actively dismissing, actively dismissing it and saying like, this is all just for attention. Uh, the fa- the father, the, the, uh, the priest, I mean, uh, just like looks and just ignores her too. Um, so like, the society's given up on her. The religion has given up on her. Um, and uh, and the majority are women. There's a really, really terrible thing going on in Mexico, the uh, feminicidio, fem- feminicide. There's a really good documentary on it called Las Tres Muertes de Maricela Escobedo, uh, also on Netflix. Um, it's a Netflix original. Um, but it's a documentary about uh, basically one case of uh, feminicide and uh, Mexico's justice system failing to get the people that basically murdered this woman's daughter. Um, And, you know, here we see the majority of the people that are on the ground, like the desaparecidos, are women. Um, And then the police person, the policeman that's going through, ignoring. And then on Mm -hmm. top of that, uh, the trumpet that we were talking about earlier, the military trumpet, just sounding off, not giving a single shit about all these people that are, uh, like... Uh, disappeared it's just it's so well done like Iñárritu just knows exactly what to do uh, he makes a very very brilliant point and it's really quick it's it doesn't take too long at all um, but it is a really huge point to make because it is a really big issue there's a very Mexican issue going on you know and um, giving his two cents about everything that's going on the discourse that's happening over there of like basically just everyone like not taking it serious like or, or like ignoring it or actively going against it it's just insane so um really really well done really well done but if no one else has anything to say about that uh, yeah i don't know that I have yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah um uh we can we can go on ahead and go into the um final points and rating for bardo from ron ron go ahead and take it away all right, a um, couple things that I wanted to mention. We we didn't really touch on it on it at all, but there is a whole um, I I don't even know subplot is how you put it, but like there's a whole recurring thing about the loss of his child oh, yeah. in, in the movie, you know, um, and it's depicted very visually, very very, very. um, and uh, and in the end when they you know like when 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 they sent him into the sea like it was you know it was a very striking um striking image it was a very 
emotional, heart-wrenching oh, yeah. sequence. And then so, how little ashes um, were coming out of the urn in the first place. Mm-hmm. So sad. It's just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's one of those things. I mean, when it... A couple of the moments where it touched <laughs> on stuff like that, it was... It was, it was it was a bold it was a choice, really I'll say. bold choice. Um, yeah, it was it was a swing. I don't know that it's going to land for everyone, but um but but still it is a very very personal thing to put on film. And mm-hmm. so um keeping that in mind, I you know, I again, I get that he's he's got stuff that he's been wrestling with for a long time and he's just putting it all out there for all of us to see. Um so however you experience it and whatever you think of it, I just I do commend him for um, for opening himself up and and being that, you know, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I do have to point out the there's significantly more female nudity in in it this is, movie yeah, than male nudity. It's really, really um, fucked up, and yet what's what's going on there? <laughs> I I do think that the nudity was tastefully done. I think that it was um, it it didn't feel exploitative to me. Mm-hmm. Um, though, I mean. If you're going to do it, did he really need to be wearing boxers? Yeah. I mean, he's done full frontal before. You might as well just, you know, just just be fair. Yeah, man. That's at all at I'm one asking. point, he does have his boxers off. And the only male nudity mm. we really do get is whenever um, we have, like, the basically the the pyramid made of dead bodies that right yeah is on top yeah of, yeah <laughs> like yeah. yeah the extras yeah. in the in the dimly lit mm-hmm. background yeah exactly um, <laughs> but yeah so just that's that's just something that always kind of like i i notice and mm-hmm. can rub me the wrong way sometimes i do think that he did a good job i just like you know Come on. Yeah. uh could have been a little bit more fair you're better than this um <laughs> yeah. So as far as my final rating, um, I got to be honest with you guys i was not looking forward to watching this movie oh. i know <laughs> I think it was my idea to cover it to begin Run. with because um, I knew it was coming. If it up. wasn't your we, idea, I was going to choose it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, just whoever like I just I know that, you know, yeah, we've known that we were going to do it for a couple of months because it's a new release. It's a it's a big filmmaker. It's totally in our wheelhouse. Um, but a while back I started I didn't look too much into it. But I started hearing that it was getting mixed to negative reviews. Uh, the words self-indulgent were thrown out mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um and so, and then I'm, I'm not one that like shies away from a long runtime, but hearing that and then seeing that the movie was two hours and 40 minutes, I was like, man, what am I getting into? And I, I really, I put it off until the absolute last minute to, to watch it before, you know, before uh, recording. Um, all that being said, this movie really, really touched me. Mm. And like all those words about like it being self-indulgent. I I mean and I don't know that it's being read the right way and I th- I wonder what the backgrounds of the people that are writing those reviews are because um I not all of it landed but what but most of it did and in a in a really personal really touching way um both just because of like I said his his willingness to to bear everything about like you know um, what he feels, even if he can't always articulate it, you know, in in the most concise way, um, I, I really admire the, the the swing that he's taking, and um, I I also wonder a little bit too if if he hadn't done Birdman already, if maybe people would be more impressed with 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 this, but um, for me, I with with someone as as someone that 
on my own has struggled with what it means to be um, Mexican American. Um, I, I I loved a lot of this, and I it's it's my favorite thing of his that that I've seen. Um, and and I really really want more people to check it out. So I'm I, I'm at four and a half stars. Four for it. and a half stars from Ron. I don't know what oh, it's gonna take baby. to get you that five stars, baby. But <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get you there. But um, yeah, really well put, really incredibly well put, Ron. Um, and also everyone's talking about him being self-indulgent, but everyone says that eight and a half by Federico Fellini is like the best of all time. That's like self-indulgence, the movie, you know what I mean? And people love it. So like what, what, what's going on here? I haven't seen it yet. Oh man. Very, very self-indulgent movie. I, I I think it's easy to label something self-indulgent if you can't identify with where the person making the art is coming yeah. from. Yep. Yeah. Even though Eight and a Half is also a really great movie. Spoilers, but I love Eight and a Half. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um it's just it's just crazy. It's really incredible. Um so thank you, Ron, for those beautiful thoughts. Um Guti, how about you? Uh final thoughts in in rating for Bardo. Yeah, so the only small uh, final thought that I wasn't able to get in uh, while we're doing the the baby talk is that uh, I had no idea that that was coming in like the first (laughs) five minutes of the film and I was Uh, eating dinner. So that was uh, not pleasant for me. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) But I won't bury the lead. Um, I mean, this for me, this is in my top five films of 2022. Mm. Um, obviously there's still a lot of films I got to catch up on 2022, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is going to stay within the top five for me. Um, like Ron mentioned, uh, I really, really love the fact that, you know, he tackles kind of like what it means to be Latin American here in the United States. It's something that I've always struggled with being, you know, Nicaraguan, like I mentioned, you know, growing up in a Nicaraguan household, but growing up here in the States, right. And how that looks like. And, and and kind of what that means for me and how I can be representative of my parents' heritage and res- and respectful of it. Um, so, and and I also saw the same criticism that a lot of people are saying, like, this is too self-indulgent. Um, and if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time uh, before this episode, uh, you guys know I like Hitchcock. I like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I like Powell and Pressburger, and you know what they all have in common with that is that they've all been called self-indulgent at some point in their <laughs> career. So I guess what I'm saying is that I like self-indulgent directors. Uh, and for those critics that are calling this film self-indulgent, what's James Cameron's Avatar franchise? E- just saying. I love Jim, but I'm Shots just saying. Fired. I'm seeing I'm seeing a discrepancy in how critics are viewing films from certain directors and uh it, it gets a little tiring um i mean spielberg all... and the fablemans ever heard of them <laughs> <laughs> i mean everyone's subject to their own opinion but i'm just saying <laughs> that for me i'm seeing kind of a discrepancy how how certain directors are being uh are being uh critiqued uh as opposed to others and uh, i'm sure people can read between the lines if you didn't catch what we're aiming at between me and ron <laughs> uh and uh, <laughs> and you guys know that uh, I don't do half star ratings, but uh, for me, this is a I mean, this is like at the very peak of a four star rating for me. Um, I'm oh sure like maybe on a second God. viewing and getting more into Ingaritu's 
filmography, it'll be a five star. But for now, um, I'm cool with the four stars. Uh, again, it's a very high four star rating. It's in my top five films right now of 2022. So I really enjoyed this film. What about you, Ismael? Uh, let us know. Let us know. Even though we kind of know where you're going, but what are your uh, final let thoughts? Me, let me spoilers. He hated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't live up to Birdman. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So let me let me just uh, rattle off some final points that I have here. Um, the whole conversation that he has with Hernan Cortez on the Socalo, like it is mm. insane. And like, um, I mean, a, a lot of Mexicans already know, like you learn this in like the first grade and stuff, but of like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the La Conquista with Hernan Cortez, like it wasn't just him. It was like, um, it was neighboring, um, neighboring tribes that would, uh, that would help, mm-hmm. you know, to, to try and topple down with, they were pitted uh, against pitted, each other. Yeah, pitted against each other, against the Tlatuani. So, um, uh, good for good for to show that to uh, an international audience because as as Mexican as this movie is, I think he knows that you know everywhere everywhere around the world they're gonna be watching this. So it's good to add that and de los niños anyway. So that was good. Um, I think I I I also really loved the the sequence that he has with Luis, like the, his friend that works in mm-hmm. um, the, the news uh, station, wh- which mm-hmm. I mean, any, 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 any Mexican would know this is Televisa. This is like a hundred million percent. <laughs> Televisa. Um, usually it's, it's, it, when you're talking about like, and that's a whole other thing about like um, the type of censorship that you would have, because in Mexico, there's really only two big, uh, uh, news places in Televisa or, or TV Azteca. But anyways, um, uh, as he goes into Televisa to go uh, talk to his friend, Luis, um, the, the conversations that he has with Luis there and in the, um, uh, and in the party are like incredible self-reflective stuff. Like the fact that he straight up said in the movie, like, uh, like, tu crees que, well, in, in, in English, he says something along the lines of, um, uh, you're receiving this really prestigious award. Do you think this just because of like leftist uh, p- politics in the mm-hmm. United States trying to like uh, make amends after like the ultra right uh, have been saying things about our country, and like how that obviously directly parallels with Iñárritu of like, did he only win the Oscar because of the U.S. Mexico political stuff going on? Like it's just mm-hmm. a very self reflective thing to to put in the movie. That was really good. Um, Iñárritu also uh, <laughs> they they call out that Iñárritu's a uh, um, he's uh, Club America, which is you know my my team in uh, uh, in my team in um, uh, for Liga MX, you know, and uh, um, and little known fact, uh, his brother uh, Alejandro's brother is the new owner of uh, Club America, so you know, really, yeah. uh, F- FYI, you know, <laughs> just, uh, just letting y'all know, um, it's uh, so yeah, they they love that team. I love that team. It is my childhood team for. My whole life, so Iñárritu, call me. You know, let's go to a game together. Vamos al Estadio Azteca. So, uh, so that's that was really great. Um, and also, uh, I mean, kind of, kind of a meta thing. But like, at one point, like he has Luis at the party, just like berating him and his movies and how everything is so like, um, like too artistic. Just read an autobiography. Este que lo otro. Um, the slogan for Club America is Odiame Mas, which is hate me even more. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and uh, basically, Iñárritu <laughs> is putting like these critiques in the movie about the movie itself 
before crit- critics can say any of these things. And he's basically saying, like, shut up. I don't care. If you don't like it, hate me even more for it. I don't, like, I really do not care what you have to say. Um, so, very cool America of him. Way to go, Alejandro. Um, I really, uh, really love that. Uh, and I just really love that, you know, he's he's also just, like, backing himself, you know, and saying, I know that a lot of you aren't going to like this, and that's okay with me. And, you know, if you don't want to, if you just want to keep on spitting out all this hate, just... I'm not going to listen to it. Like constructive criticism, sure, but this, no. Um, uh, yeah, and also some things I might not 100% understand in the whole movie, but that's okay. This is like a subconscious state, dreamlike, mm-hmm. coma-induced, you know, a movie. Um, so uh, overall, I love this movie. I mean, if everything we talked about right now hasn't pointed to me giving this a five stars i don't know what you're even thinking about and i think this might be i don't know if this is my favorite movie of 2022 i'm gonna have to go back to the check check the logs you know i gotta go check check the archives to see what is gonna be my top movies of the year but this might top it all out and be my favorite movie of 2022 um and for those of you listening now, I'm probably going to put it in my top four for a little bit because I just really love it. I really, really love this movie. Um, uh, no notes, you know, <laughs> uh, I, think, uh, I think it's great. Um, I really wish that I could see the extended cut. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people would not want it. And I'm sure that, you know, and yet it's like he had his reasons for cutting it. But I would like to see that extended cut. I know that he has a really big thing about cutting his movies. You know, the whole thing with Amores Perros. He couldn't cut it down. He had, they had to bring Guillermo del Toro. He cut it down 10 minutes. Um, so I get it. Um, but I know people are going to say it's a pretentious movie, but so what, dude? Even if it's pretentious, That's it's okay. so well made. Like, it's, yeah. like, uh, like, it's just, it's incredible. I, I have a, I have a thing where like, I have a thing where, or a saying that I, that I have that I, I think that something itself is not pretentious. We, basically make it pretentious like we uh, because we maybe don't understand it etc kind of like what ron was talking about um during his uh final thoughts like we make things pretentious not that that thing is pretentious itself mm-hmm. that's the way i kind of look at it so uh that has been our review for bardo false chronicles of a handful of truths um i man i don't even I, we would read letterbox reviews from friends, but no one's seen it yet, so unfortunate. Um, yeah, nobody that we <laughs> no one that we know, <laughs> no one that we know. Um, but uh, we would love to hear what you have to say about Bardo. So please, uh, please feel free to send in an email over to reallatinos at gmail.com. That's r e e l l a t i n o s at gmail.com, or reach out to us in our social media handles at reallatinos over on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we'd really love to hear your feedback. Um, on the show and on the movie itself or anything that you'd like any past episodes uh things you love things you think uh we should uh cover on the show please reach out to us so we can hear your thoughts um and with that that uh concludes our thoughts on bardo um so for next week we uh we got a little bit of a little bit of a surprise ron why don't you go ahead and and uh tell tell the people what we got going on for next week um I think I'll uh, let our, our special guest for next week <gasps> tell you instead. Hola, Ron. Hola, Guti. Hola, Ismael. Hola. I'm so excited that you invited me to be on your podcast, uh, Real Latinos. 
and have allowed me to choose a movie. Thank you so much. Very honored. Very excited. Uh, the movie that I have chosen to discuss with you uh, next week is La Bamba, oh, film from 1987, oh, directed baby. by Luis Valdez. And Luis Valdez is an American playwright, writer, and film director, and he is regarded as the father of Chicano theater and film mm. in the United Ooh, States. Yeah. Um, so I thought this would be a fun choice. It's one of my uh, favorite movies. I remember it being on all the time growing up, and I'm actually from the San Fernando Valley, uh, city of San Fernando, actually, um, where Richie Valance was from. Um, I know he's buried over at the San Fernando Mission. That's just a couple miles away from uh, the home where I grew up. So it's just a film that's very near and dear to my heart, also because of the musical aspect. I'm a huge fan of music, and I love the Chicano aspect, you know, for someone like me being um, the daughter of me- Mexican parents. Mm. You know, my, my mom's from Tijuana, my dad's from Jalisco, mm. and my sister and I are both uh, first generation born here in the U.S. So anyway, love this movie, and I'm very much looking forward to discussing La Bamba with you all, and thank you for having me. Wow, La Bamba oh, for next baby. week with a special guest, Yoli from the Spaghetti Freddy podcast. Wonderful podcast that covers spaghetti westerns and Freddy Krueger. Uh, a very unique, <laughs> very unique pairing. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Make sure to go out and give them a listen. Um, and come back next week on Thursday to hear Yoli's thoughts on la bamba la bamba great pick great pick la bamba um i'm really sure that we're gonna have a really great discussion next week with our special guest yoli um so with that let's uh let's see ron where can people find you on the internet come find me on letterbox at saint jimmy 5150 Guti? you can also find me on letterbox under cg reviews all one word and you can find me in Letterbox with IVM. That's I, V as in videos, M as in movies. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Make sure to give us a like. Rate us five stars. Rate us five stars on Spotify. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you write a five-star review, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll read it out here on the podcast for you all to hear. Um, and make sure to share this with your friends and family and subscribe to the show so that you can get a brand spanking new episode every single Thursday uh, and next week with our special guest, Yoli. So thank you so much, everybody. Adios. 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 Real Latinos is a podcast written, produced, and hosted by Christian Gutierrez, Ron Jimenez, and Ismael Villarreal. Mixed and edited by Ron Jimenez. Artwork provided by Elizabeth Jimenez, Ron Jimenez, and Ismael Villarreal. Original music provided by Pablo Muchas gracias y hasta la próxima. So, uh, but yeah, I uh, saw Birdman and Revenant when they came out in the theaters, uh, largely because I knew they were Oscar contenders, and I'm, you know, kind of a, a nut that likes completionist paying attention to the Oscars. Um, I'm gonna wait until my cat finishes puking in the background. Oh so my I can god! Around it, poor, poor cat. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Okay, well, now maybe I'm leaving it all in. (laughs) Howdy, friends. I'm Cablasto. And I'm Yoli. And we host a podcast called Spaghetti and Freddy, in which we discuss both spaghetti westerns and the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. That's right, and a new episode drops every Friday morning. Just search for Spaghetti and Freddy to find us. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now. <laughs>